I want to take you back to December 28, 1989. Some of you are going to remember this story. Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish, were scheduled to play, at that time, number one undefeated Colorado. They were in the Miami Orange Bowl is being dubbed as the national championship game. So the coach, Lou Holtz of Notre Dame, pulls his team together and gives them this pet pep talk. Uh, here are his words. He says, men, all year long, Colorado has been living a lie. They are not who they think they are. And we're going to demonstrate that tonight. So it's a great pep talk it was but what Holtz didn't realize is there were cameras filming him uh, KCNC out of Denver and they they well we didn't we didn't have social media back then right so things didn't spread by Twitter and you know emails but it spread through newsreels and his remark remarks became controversial amongst the NCAA coaches um, the controversy ended, of course, when his words actually became prophecy. Remember with me on January 1st, 1990, Notre Dame defeated the Buffaloes by a score of 21 to 6. By the way, the 1989 national champions, do you remember who they were? Wasn't Notre Dame, wasn't Colorado, it was Miami. And this was funny to me. When the Miami Hurricanes were presented the National Championship trophy, they hoisted it in the air and kind of pointing back at Holtz's words, this is what they said. This, the trophy, ain't no lie. Um, I want to welcome you again to God Size Living. I want to deal with a topic today that's very deep inside of me. I'm going to talk about uh, this, this phrase, living a lie. A couple of questions to start us off with. I just want you to think about this. Have you ever experienced a time where you find yourself watching someone who, you know, they say they're one thing, but they're living a different way. And, and you just think to yourself, you know what? That person is just, they're living a lie. That's question one. Two is a little harder. Has that, has that someone ever been you? Honestly, have you ever thought you're kind of caught yourself thinking, um, this is who I want to be. This is who I tell people I am, but, but I'm not, I'm, I'm kidding myself. I'm, I'm living a lie. And then one more question. If that is you, what do you do with that? Today, uh, we're going to dig into chapter five of Daniel a little bit deeper. We started into the chapter last week. I, I want to come around today, a character and a moment in history that I, I think more than a football game define what it means to follow a God who really wants us to be honest with ourselves. Who, who am I, honestly? And then to see him for who he is, honestly, and to find a place of grace that rises above the lies, I'm going to use that word today, that sometimes we tell ourselves. What, what kind of got me interested in this topic is a book I read actually a couple of summers ago, a, a book titled, uh, Who You Are When No One Else Is Looking. Uh, it's a book written by Bill Hybels, then senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in North Barrington, Illinois. At that time, probably one of the largest uh, churches in North America. He says he wrote the book to, quote unquote, disturb Christians. I kind of like that, uh, to mess with us. And for me, that's exactly uh, what the, the book did. Uh, it really causes you to stop and to think about sometimes the way we present ourselves over against uh, who we are. I mean, as Christians, we'll say to the world, who are we? You know, we're loving, we're compassionate, we're non-judgmental, 
we're inclusive. We, we kind of want to be known for our character, right? Like we're faithful people, we're truthful people, we're kind people, we're caring people, we're sexually and relationally wholesome people, but, but really are we? Does that match with, with who we are? inside ourselves. So the book is intended to, to ask this question, oh, you know, when people are looking, you know, you're one thing, but but who are you really when no one else is is looking? It disturbed me when I read it, but, but here's what became even more disturbing. Not the book, but the voices. So I've got voices in me, I'm going to guess some of you do too, that are constantly telling me, as, as I read the Bible, as I look at God's call, Luke, you can do this. Hey, you just need to change some things about yourself. You know, just put some things down, walk away from some things, do some things better. You, you can do this, but but actually, can I? Or is that actually living a lie? I want to get, get back again into to Daniel chapter 5. I think it helps us answer the question. Remember when chapter 4 of Daniel ends, Nebuchadnezzar is still the king of Babylon, but he's dying. He doesn't know that, but he's dying. His time on earth is short. And so is the nation's time, Babylon's time. So when chapter five opens, we, we looked at this last week. We meet up with a new king, Belshazzar, and we have to ask the question, you know, what, what happened? How did Belshazzar become the king of Babylon? I want you to step back with me to, to the second chapter of Daniel. Remember with me the first dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had that God gave to him and Daniel interpreted um, remember that the, the dream had a giant statue in it. Uh, the statue was made up of different metals. The head was gold, the silver uh, arms and, and chest, the legs made out of bronze and iron, the feet, kind of a combination of, of iron and clay. And, and remember Daniel, uh, God uses him to, to tell the king something. Remember what the dream was about? Daniel was saying, listen, king of Babylon, your world domination will not last forever. In fact, as that dream was, was given to Nebuchadnezzar, God was already raising up another kingdom that he would use for his purposes, a kingdom that would topple Babylon and assume its place as, as dominant. God didn't hide his intentions. He, he gave the dream and the interpretation uh, to the king. And, and so you find yourself just asking, well, did the king listen? Does he take any action? Does he come before the people of Babylon and say, we have to make changes? Does he say we need to repent? Daniel's God is greater than ours. Well, the answer is no, he doesn't. And so when you study history, it becomes evident that with Nebuchadnezzar's death, Babylon as a nation literally begins to just unravel. So chapter five begins with Belshazzar as king. But remember there are a number of kings that serve before him. So in between chapter four and five, just kind of listen to this. There are a number of kings that come to power and lose their power in Babylon. Uh, the first was, was actually Nebuchadnezzar's son, Amel Marduk. He ruled from 562 to 560. You know what happened to him? Got assassinated by his brother-in-law, Nergalezer, who ruled from 560 to 556. What happened to him? He got assassinated. Labashi Marduk killed him. Now, Labashi, he got to serve as king from 556 to 556, and you did hear that right. Served only a couple of months. What happened to him? You guessed it. 
he was assassinated by Nabonidus. So when you open chapter 5, you're like, well, who's Belshazzar? Who is he? Remember, Belshazzar is actually Nabonidus's son. Nabonidus spent a lot of time away, physically away from Babylon. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'll solve that problem. I'm going to put my son in charge while I'm gone. He'll be a co-king with me. Here, here's, a, here's an interesting thought. Was Belshazzar in any way competent to rule Babylon? And the answer is no. He, he absolutely was not. So when we open chapter 5, the nation of Babylon is in trouble. Uh, Nabonidus is not physically present. Belshazzar is leading the nation. And word has come from the battlefield that the armies of the Medo-Persians are advancing quickly. And they're going to overtake Babylon if action is not immediately taken. So let's, let's kind of read this. What does Belshazzar the king do? This is amazing to me. Uh, As we read scripture, I always like to pray, Lord, would you give us insight into these words? Uh, Lord, we seek that out today in your name. Amen. This is Daniel chapter 5, again, verses 1 to 4. Here's what's going on. It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought, and that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine, and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. This is unbelievable. Let me translate this. Belshazzar is the king. Babylon's in trouble. Medo-Persian armies are crushing, crushing Babylon's armies. And now they're heading straight for the city. What does Belshazzar do? He gets drunk. And not only drunk, but he, he uses Israel's taken for the temple chalices to fill up with wine and he's having an orgy while his city is getting ready to crumble and in fact history tells us that as he is drinking the Medo-Persians are on their way and the city will fall that very night so so what do we do with a story like this Uh, what do we do with it I think you know, for me, sometimes we'll read these stories and we're like, man, well, just look at this guy, Belshazzar, what a fool. And we kind of leave it in history. And I don't think that's why these stories are in the Bible. I think they're, they're present for us. So I want to I come back to the questions we began with today. And the first one is, have you ever experienced a time where you've watched someone living a lie? And, 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 of course, the answer is we, we've all experienced it, right? Sometimes in the workplace, someone believes they're a lot more than they really are. Athletic fields. I mean, you've got people that tell stories of all their feats and accomplishments, and then when the rubber hits the road, they're exposed. It's just a lie. Uh, sometimes it's the academic world, you know, where we see somebody living a lie. We've seen it in a lot of arenas. But I'm going to tell you that that most of what we've seen uh, pales in comparison to what it means to live a lie spiritually. Just think about this. 
I may be living a lie on the basketball court or football field, volleyball court, and I get exposed. So, so what? What's the consequence? I get embarrassed. I may lose my position, but, but life goes on. Same is true academically. I may discover an area of growth that I need to pursue. And if I'm, if I'm humble enough, I may actually grow from, from my exposure. But what happens if I'm living a lie spiritually as both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar were? They, they did. They stubbornly held on to this belief that a false god, Marduk, could save them from the outcome of a vision that Daniel interpreted for them. I mean, they, they respected Daniel's God, but they, they, they stood before their people and said, but we know better. We know better. And yet things do not work out well for, for Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, or the nation of Babylon. Their lie, I mean, from a physical perspective, socioeconomically costs them everything. Pointedly, Babylon falls to the armies of the Medo-Persians. I think there's a lot more to the story, right? What their lie cost them, if we can just put this on the table, is actually eternity. They chose to hang on to a stubborn lie and push God away rather than just to acknowledge this is who I am and to be exposed and to repent. So what about you? I think we can all safely say, yeah, I've experienced watching someone stubbornly live a spiritual lie and it's painful to watch but but what about us and this is honestly where i found myself as i reread heibel's book um who are you luke when no one else is looking i i take the calling of god so seriously and i want to i want to serve the lord all out to my last breath i want to live in a way that strengthens my witness but do i I want to be someone who does care about people, does not judge people ever. I want to be inclusive, but but am I always? And the, actually, the more I read Heibel's book, the heavier I got. And then this voice entered the picture as a voice of guilt. And it kept asking me a question. Luke, why don't you give more of yourself? Luke, wasn't that a judgmental thought? Luke, you need to work harder at this. You can do better. And then it was like um, the spirit just stopped me. I mean, it was as if the spirit were a foot away from my face yelling, Luke, stop. And I realized something. That to listen to those voices, the voice of guilt, the voice of my enemy, because that's who it really is, saying to me, you can do this, Luke. You can live up to your calling. To listen to that voice, I think, honestly, it's just to trade one lie for another. Because guess what? Living out our calling is actually not about what we do. It's about what God is doing in us. It's about realizing that the Holy Spirit is is actually really good at exposing places in our lives where we're living a lie. And then being empowered by him to just put ourselves into his, his, his hands and say, Lord, uh, shape me, make me more like you. Uh, I want my love to be like your love. And, and I think we have to know that his love for us is not dependent upon, upon us. 
we, we need to know that there's never a time when he doesn't see exactly who we are and love us just the same. This week, I want to encourage you to do something, and you don't need Heibel's book to do it. I want you to spend a little time asking yourself the question, so who am I really when no one else is looking? Where is my life congruent with the person that I'm called to be, with the person that I want to be? And as you ask these questions, I want you to give the spirit room, give them room purposely to expose you. Where honestly are you living a lie? Where, where are our lives far away from who we've been called to be? And then I want you just to confess it. Spirit, I, I don't want to live this lie. This is not who I want to be. And then ask him, Spirit of God, would you change me? For I cannot change myself. And I believe when we do this, something beautiful happens. Uh, when we give ourselves to God, it's he who causes the lie to die. Well, that's all for this week. Again, as we conclude this podcast, uh, we're all preparing for Christmas. Celebration of celebrations, the birth of our Lord. I want you to know I'm thankful that you're a part of this podcast family and that I, I pray for you regularly. And I'm thankful for your prayers for me. Please keep them coming. As we enter the Christmas season, we're going to take a short break. Uh, there'll not be a new podcast drop next week. I'm working on new content. We'll be back with Daniel chapter five, more of it uh, in the new year. We will uh, be back Monday, January 10th of a new episode. Uh, until then, I want to wish you and all of yours a God-sized Christmas. Christmas.